0: Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Emergency transport
2: to from to the city to
0: Attention, all listeners on this frequency. Stand by for an important announcement. Welcome to Medic to Medic Podcast, the weekly podcast for EMS providers, EMS leaders, EMS medical directors, and others involved in or those who have an interest in emergency medical services. Ladies and gentlemen, here's your host, Steve
1: Cohen. Coming from the Raleigh, North Carolina, Medic to Medic Podcast Studios, it's another episode. Hi, it's Steve Cohen. Hey, if you've got a chance, go over to Apple Podcasts, Speaker.com, Stitcher, or my website, and rate the podcast, and leave me some comments. Today, I'm joined by Gary Ludwig. Gary is the fire chief of Champaign, Illinois. He's authored numerous uh, books. He's written over 500 and some plus articles. He's a known expert both in fire and EMS. He's an award-winning chief uh, for two systems in EMS, Memphis and St. Louis. I'll let him tell us a little bit more about his story and how he got started. But first, Gary, welcome to Medic to Medic podcast.
2: Well, Thank you, Steve. It's an honor to be aboard with you.
1: Well, I appreciate it. Now, one reason why I uh, want to talk to Gary is uh, he wrote an article back in September in one of the fire magazines about do paramedics need a college degree? We're definitely going to touch that subject in, and probably a few more about leadership, etc. But Gary, tell us how you all got started in the public safety world.
2: Well, um... An interesting scenario, uh, especially since it's the topic that we're talking about today, but uh, I started working for St. Louis when I was 18 years old, and I was looking for a way to pay my way through college, and, uh, and so, uh, um, you know, what I was doing, actually, uh, I gravitated to. It was enjoyable. I loved it. I loved making a difference. I loved uh, the, the fact that there was nothing different each day. Um, I'm sorry, there was something different each day, and, uh, and so... I started with St. Louis when I was 18. I was just two months out of high school and, uh, spent, wound up spending 25 years there. Um, then I got recruited to Memphis and, uh, they were having a significant issue with their EMS system and they, the fire chief had just created a deputy fire chief position there and, and uh, he was hoping to have someone come in and help him, um, put their EMS system back on track. And so, um, uh, I took on that challenge and, um, and so 10 years later, uh, I left Memphis after uh, making that, a, uh, I would like to say we, not I, but me and a lot of other people that work there, we made that an award-winning system again. And um, and then uh, I went to Champaign. where I've been here this month, it'll be four years now as the fire chief here in Champaign. And ironically, I don't have any ambulances as the part of the Champaign Fire Department. So um, even though uh, I've been actively involved in running these EMS systems, I find myself now in a fire department where I don't have ambulances at all.
1: What was the spark? What got you interested in, besides, you know, you're out of high school and you needed a job to pay for college. Was there anything else that brought you to the uh, St. Louis department?
2: Yeah, I, I always had an interest in fire and, uh, and then really EMS kind of really um, became um, also a, 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 a something that was really of interest to me. And I, you know, I can say unequivocally, uh, such as people in my my time here, well a lot of things that got us interested in this profession was watching TV show Emergency on TV with Ronnie Gage and our Johnny Gage and Roy DeSoto, and so those are the things that you know obviously you know got me interested in this profession, and so when that opportunity presented itself, that um, that was an opportunity I took with St. Louis, and so. That was the spark. There was a fire station when I lived in South St. Louis. It was maybe about five blocks from my house, the 14s. And um, you could hear the siren go off from uh, from my house when they were going on a run. And, you know, I found myself many times running to the corner, which wasn't too far away, so I could watch the fire truck go by, the young little kid growing up in South St. Louis. And so it almost is something that's been a part of me and part of my blood since I've been a, a, you a know, small youth there on the streets of south st louis so so it's that's pretty much i would think the sparks and the influence that got me going about this profession
1: tell us a little bit about uh, some of those concepts you developed in both of those departments and that made them award-winning
2: well some of the things that um that we did actually in st louis was uh, we created um a system back <clears throat> that we see now actually back in the 90s called 911 plus and uh we uh took over EMS and the ambulance service in 1997, it was the mayor with a stroke of a pen basically merged EMS into the fire department and I found myself running EMS and uh, one of the things that we had there is the challenges that we had a lot of people who were misusing the 911 system. They were using 911 as we see today typically, you know, for a very low acuity type of things that um, they had no business using the ambulance for and so. Within a week of us taking over and managing the EMS system at the fire department, we had an unfortunate death at an abortion clinic that uh, it took a while for ambulance to get there. But when you went back and looked at what all the ambulances were doing at that exact moment, over 90% of them were on these low acuity calls. And so we had to do something different. And one of the things that we decided to do was uh, create this 911 system or this 911 plus system where uh, we screened the calls using an algorithm and then uh, working with the state Medicaid system, which had a transport system in place, we would route those calls over to those vans, those low-acuity vans that were able to transport patients, Medicaid patients, and just send them to pick up those patients and they could take them to a clinic or some other type of facility. So, you know, back then, even 20 years ago, we were moving those patients. As you almost see today with the community paramedicine programs and all the alternative delivery cat pathways. We were doing that 20 years ago in St. Louis with that 911 plus system. You know, and there were some innovative things we did in Memphis. Like uh, we revamped the entire QI process. Uh, we used the, working very closely with the FedEx company, you know, we looked at their models and how they did QI. Where typically your QI is done from the bottom up where you have some analysts who's, who's crunching data and looking at numbers. And pushing the numbers upward to the upper staff and say, hey, there's a problem here, you need to deal with it. Um, we reversed that model in Memphis, and what we did was that I was the owner. I took ownership of those numbers as opposed to the analyst. So, me and, say, the CEO of the EMS system there, as, as you, you would, you know, if you were to use that analysis, uh, I was responsible for the data numbers improving not the analyst who was actually crunching the numbers and looking at it and telling us what was wrong. So so when you actually put the lead person or the person over the system in charge and make them responsible for improving the numbers, um, you know, you're know you actually going to see some buy-in, some ownership from the top of the organization to fix things. And um, and so uh, that's one of, one of the innovative things we did there. Uh, another thing we did innovative, innovatively was we, um, we actually started uh, we were the first beams accredited uh, fire department in the country that was awarding CEUs for in-house education that we were doing out of our fire academy. And we did some other other innovative things, although uh, there are some others out there. We also uh, started our own in-house paramedic education program where we were teaching our own firefighters uh, to become paramedics. So and I can go on with a list of different things, but I can't take credit for all those things I work. Over the years, have many wonderful and outstanding people who have, uh, you know, who have some innovative minds, and they were uh, responsible for a lot of the things that we got done.
1: Speaking on other people, who inspired you?
2: Well, I, I actually had three uh, three mentors over my years that I like to point towards. One was uh, a chief in St. Louis by the name of Rich Davis. That's the first individual I really encountered when I was 18 years old, and he was an old school, gruff chief who'd been around since back in the 30s and had been there over 40 years and uh, and he kind of took me underneath his wing and i became i think almost like the son he never had he had three daughters and uh he taught me a lot of wonderful things and i was just mesmerized by the stories that he would tell sometimes um then uh, another chief i worked for who just died last year that was Neil's um, I would sit in his office many days the fire he was the fire chief, and I would sit in his office many days and just you know just to talking to each other. and uh, I learned a lot of things from him, especially on the political side of the house and then and then when I went to Memphis, uh, I had a the chief who recruited me there. His name was Richard Orwood, and uh, I learned a lot of things from him also. And I would just say that one of the common denominators among those three people, was that they put others before themselves. And that's one of the things that I can look back on and, and say that I learned from is that when you become the chief of an organization it's not about you anymore. It's about your people. It's about the people that you're there to serve in your organization. And so that was a common trait that all three of them had. It was not it was not them anymore. It was about others.
1: Describe your leadership style. Uh,
2: my leadership style is I'm a strong proponent of servant leadership. That I believe, as I just described about my three mentors, is that I'm there to serve others. I see myself at the bottom of the organizational chart. I'm there to serve my firefighters. Uh, I'm there to make sure they have all the tools and all the resources and all the training and all the things that they need in order to take care of the citizen. As I like to say, as we typically say, Mrs. Smith. And that is the goal. Um, Most organizations, a lot of organizations I've seen that are not as successful, it seems as though uh, the organization supports the leadership at the top. And I believe firmly that it should be the other way around, that the the leadership should support the operations of the department. And uh, it's my goal, again, to be at the bottom of the organization and make sure the rest of the organization is served.
1: What challenges did you face as you moved up the career ladder?
2: Oh, well... um, yeah, I have, one of the things that I have, uh, I, there's several challenges I can speak of right off the top of the head because we haven't, re- as you know, we haven't rehearsed these questions. I didn't know these questions were coming. That's correct. Um, so, you know, when I'm speaking, you know, it's just off the cuff here. And so, you know, the first thing I think about when I think of challenges is, is those um, who are jealous of your success as you move up your career. And uh, I, it's unfortunate but I, I've experienced that, Um Jealousy is an unbelievable motivator of people, and uh, and so uh, you know I have experienced those that will try to trip you up, those that will try to harm you um, and your success, and uh, and it's not necessarily that they don't that they want what you have, they just don't want you to have what you have, and uh, and so you know I, I've been I've been I've uh I've been really dismayed by people that I know that I've helped over the years get to where they're at, and then at some point, you know, they try to harm you. And so um, so those, those have been challenges, and, and uh, you learn to live with those, but you talk to anybody, a lot of people have experienced that as they've moved up the career ladder. So the other thing that um, I've been challenged with going back into the 90s and stuff like that is the acceptance of EMS by, by some, and those have been challenges. I had, you know, one chief in one department that every day uh, his job he saw when he came into work was to try to trip me up running the EMS system and do everything he could to destroy it. And, uh, and so, you know, you just have to learn to <clears throat> operate in those systems. If you want to, if there's, the, I guess, the best advice I can give is that, you, first of all, you have to have situation awareness that there are people like that that will want to harm you. There will be people that will try to destroy the work that you've done And, uh, you know, you have to have a good network in place to overcome those. You have to have people that will warn you that this is coming down the pipe. You have to have people that if something does happen, that you can go to and nullify what has happened to you or what's being done to you by somebody else. So those are all things that you have to have in place. You're not an island by yourself when you're in leadership. You have to have a strong network in place in order to deal with, um, with the challenges that you have do you mind telling
1: us how you overcame that and how'd you deal with it
2: with what I'm sorry with with the,
1: with uh, going to work and being challenged or maybe sabotaged
2: well um, <clears throat> I'll, I'll tell you what, my model my mo- my model in life is that uh, I you know I don't feel at nothing and I can tell you that's that's the work ethic that my children have and I'm proud of both of them and and uh, and so uh, I might not win something necessarily right away, but I'm unrelentless. Uh, I, I do not fail at anything. I continue to strive and I continue to work. I continue to never give up on anything that I'm working with until I succeed. And uh, that, is, that is the work ethic that I have, and that is what has driven me to be successful, that I do not fail. I assure you I fail at nothing. I may not win something initially. Um, but that doesn't mean I'm going to stop at what I'm doing. And uh, and so that is uh, part of what I figure what I contribute my success to is the fact that you just never give up. You continue to be unrelentless and you, you strive to succeed at what you're
1: doing. You already mentioned that chief should be at the bottom of the organizational chart, and I like that philosophy. What are some important attributes of a leader and a paramedic?
2: Um, <clears throat> the first thing, um, I, I I'll tell you there's two. So uh, I teach this in my leadership classes. You have to have two things to be an effective leader. You have to have character. And you have to have confidence. So to give an example um, on character, you never lie. You never lose trust. Your people, your employees should never lose trust in you. If they catch you lying to them, they will never trust you again, and you'll never get that trust back. I was just in a class, uh, ironically, last week with some of my elected officials, and uh, this was being taught by teeks out of um, College Station, Texas, it was a class. And so my mayor was in the class, and the instructor asked me if there was anything that I'd ever withhold from my elected officials on a disaster. I said, never. I said, I would never do that, because I will never have them lose trust in me or lose faith in me. I'm going to tell them everything. And I was surprised that other people in the room would say they would hold in, withhold information from their elected officials because they were afraid that their elected officials, trying to get camera time, would go out and say stuff that didn't that was inappropriate. And uh, I thought, how wrong you are if you trust your officials that much. But uh, so so it comes down to trust. If you if your employees ever lose t- com- again, we're talking about character. If your employees ever lose trust in you, they. You know, you might as well just retire and go someplace else because they will never trust you if you, they catch you lying and be deceitful and other things like that. So so <clears throat> the second part is being competent. And uh, and so you have to be competent in what you do. You have to be able to manage. You have to be able to lead. You have to be able to have knowledge base of the things that, that are a part of your profession. Because, again, if you're not competent – Again, your employees will never have um, any trust. I don't know what the word is not trust, but they will not, uh, you know, they will not have have any faith in your leadership. So, uh, you know, let's talk about some things that, you know, you've seen over the years. You know, you might remember a few years back, the en- Enron scandals, you know, down there in Texas. So there's some very competent people who are very smart and, um, you know, just you know, they knew finance and they knew all the other things but they were unethical. And they, they had no trust. They had no character. And you see where that wound up at. So we can look at these sort of things and you can have you can have character but no competence you won't be a good leader and vice versa. You can have competence but no character and not be a good leader. So you have to have character and competence in order to be a good leader. don't that's a long the- explanation but I I hope I've made that pretty uh clear on how I was trying to describe it.
1: Uh, you did, Gary. You did. How about for a paramedic? Uh, I, well, and so
2: there. These some of these attributes When we're talking about for paramedic, we're also talking about some leaders. You have to be, the first thing you have to be is uh, empathetic. You know, we're in the people business, whether you're a leader or whether you're a paramedic. You know, we take care of people 100% of the time. You know, we're not some truck driver driving down the road where all you have to worry about is getting your truck from point A to point B you really don't have to deal with people. The only time you might have to really deal with people is if you get out of your truck and you stop at a truck stop or you stop at, you know, at wherever your destination is. But the majority of the time, you're not going to deal with people. In our profession, whether you're a leader or whether you're a paramedic, you deal with people. And usually people, especially on the paramedic side, they're calling you because they have a problem. You know, they're going to be calling you because it's going to be the worst day of their entire life. And they're going to be turning to you and they, they're wanting not only character and competence, they want you to be ethical and they want you to be competent, but they also want you to be empathetic. They want you to care. As I like to tell people, they don't want to know how much you know, they want to know how much you care. And so, uh, as a paramedic, you have to show that you care. I'll give you an example if, for those that are listening to this. If you're a supervisor or a manager or any type of chief of any organization, what type of complaints do you get? You don't get complaints that from the citizen that somebody started the wrong IV or they couldn't read EKG or they drew up the wrong medicine, you never get those complaints. The complaints you get is somebody has an attitude, somebody had a bad attitude, somebody didn't treat somebody right. And so, again, it comes down to empathy. It comes down to how we deal with people and how we treat people and how we respect those that we come in contact with. That is one of the main attributes to being a good paramedic Uh, even, again, even again, with the competence question, but again, you have to be empathetic, you have to be caring.
1: Well, that'll lead us to our discussion of your article that I saw, and I think it was Fire Engineering, about paramedics need a degree. My first question to you is, what spawned you to write the article? And then the second question, why all of a sudden the need for a degree to be a paramedic?
2: Well, I wrote the article because this whole issue is starting to raise its head. Uh, you have some organizations and individuals within those organizations who are raising the whole specter uh, that you need a degree to become a paramedic. And um, it's you know it's interesting. A position paper just came out recently where they said associate's degree they're recommending an associate's degree. And uh, with some of those voices early on, we're saying no, you have to have a bachelor's degree, just like nurses do, just like nurses have to have a bachelor of science in nursing to be a nurse now. And so uh, it's interesting that all of a sudden it's been toned back now to be an associate's degree. I think the ultimate goal is they want to become a bachelor's degree, but just, they know they can't make that leap right now. You know, with that said, uh, that the, again, this whole issue has raised the specter. So um, I wrote, you know, I've looked at this, and so I wrote a column, you know, basically saying that you don't have to have a degree to be a paramedic. And I want to, I want to throw out a, well, you know, one disclaimer here, Steve. And that is, I am not against education. Uh, You're talking to somebody who has a master's degree in business and management. And uh, I strongly believe in education. I strongly uh, inspire. I advocate, you know, and I promote people to go get their college education and get a degree. And so um, I'm not against degrees. I'm not against education. Uh, What I have concerns about is telling individuals that you have to have a degree to be a paramount. And so that's that's where um you know where I wrote this article and and the the, the things I cited for why why I believe it's not a, it's not an issue or why you don't need to degree to be a paramedic now again, there are those that will argue that you know it gives you a better understanding of the profession all the other issues they'd say, but if that was the case uh you know again um i you know I just don't agree with those, and so anyway that's that's the impetus behind it.
1: Yeah, but why do you think it's uh, all of a sudden come to the forefront? I mean, because EMS, as though it's young, has been around a long time. I mean, there are a lot of uh, both EMTs, advanced EMTs, paramedics out there that have no degrees, do the job for 30, 40 years and doing it great. I mean, why?
2: Why? Well, and, I, and I actually, I'm glad you said that because I, I've act, I didn't put this in my column, but I actually think that's an insult to those that have come before us and worked their tails off and actually have been involved in saving people and have made a difference in the world of others. And what you're trying to say is that they were incompetent because they didn't have a degree. And I, I think that's pretty much a slap in the face to all those that have come before us and um, worked many years. So uh, what what I've heard... Now, again, they've toned this down. Some of those who are advocating for degrees think that we need to raise the level of professionalism within our profession. Others feel as though grading degree programs requiring you to have a degree you'll have less paramedics out there as a result of less paramedics the uh, what will that will translate into supply and demand and so it'll raise the pay of all paramedics and uh, I think that's I don't think that's realistic that uh, you're going to drive paramedics out of the profession will have less paramedics and you're going to have more pay for paramedics you know that your demand is going to go up so therefore pay is going to go up. There's not, there's, there's no money in these systems now. to pay paramedics extra. I wish paramedics and EMTs were paid far greater than what they are. I think they deserve. I think they deserve a whole lot more than what they're getting. But the reality is, a lot of these systems just don't have the funding. If they, even if they wanted, to, you know, to give people extra money, they're they they do not have the funding to, um, you know, to raise the pay of these. So I don't know where the money's going to come from when they think that they're going to pay paramedics more when there's less paramedics. I don't know where they think that's going to where money's going to come from. I, I'd advocate that you fix the reimbursement models. You should fix the reimbursement models. Get more money into the systems, and then you can start raising the pay of the paramedics. If that's the case, if that's what you want to do. But again, I don't hear those individuals anymore saying that's the goal. The Goal I hear now is that it's going to raise the level of professionalism. Uh, There's this thought that there's going to be better patient outcomes because uh, there's some obscure study that was done on a nursing program that showed that patient outcomes were better with nurses who had degrees versus certificate programs. Well, I don't know how you can compare apples to oranges because you've got a nurse who's working in a hospital environment with all kinds of other care providers. They're not a single care provider. You've got doctors, you've got respiratory therapy technicians, you have all kinds of other people that are treating that patient. Um, so I don't know how you can compare nurses with degrees versus paramedics without degrees. So, so they they point to some obscure study which has no validity. And um, so, again, um, this this whole notion uh, that paramedics need degrees in order to be competent and be proficient um, is has no water. There's there's no evidence to support that. And uh, and so. What we're going to do is actually damage our profession, in my opinion, by the fact that, you know, there's none, especially if you get to the bachelor degree level, there's no way that someone's going to pay thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 for a bachelor's degree in order to become a paramedic that's going to pay fifteen to $20 an hour. It's it's unrealistic think that's going to happen. So ultimately, who suffers? The patient suffers. Because you're right, there will be less paramedics. And as a result of that, Uh, the fact that if someone needs some type of ALS intervention, that paramedic might not be there to do that. So ultimately, who suffers as the result of all this is the patient that we deal with day in and day
1: out. Well, we talked about nursing, and there is a nursing shortage, there's a paramedic shortage, and I'm reading a couple articles about nurses leaving the profession, the nursing profession, and I'm just not sure where the importance of the degree plays in both roles, either nursing or paramedic. What it really comes down to, and I think you said something earlier in the podcast about that the complaints that we re- receive as chiefs aren't about our, our patient care, it's really about our attitudes and where does the degree give you a better attitude when you're talking to a patient or treating a patient or talking to a patient's family. Now I have a bachelor's degree uh, and it did open up a lot of doors for me, it got me more interviews and everything else, but now I uh, I've been the chief for 17 years at Carrier EMS. If I want to move on to maybe another organization, whatever it may be, when you look at the advertisements now for jobs, they want you to have a master's degree. Well, I'm getting up in age. Uh, do I want to spend thirty 40, or 40000 or $50,000 for a master's degree, which at my age, I'm probably not going to recoup. I think I'm a pretty good leader. Any thoughts on that? I, I would agree
2: with you. And, um, but I, again, I'm, I think you would agree with me that uh, if you're going to, if I, we should be advocates of people getting degrees.
1: Absolutely. You know, if
2: you want to go out and get it, you know, and I, I and I know you would agree with me with that. And especially if you want to move up into the managerial and the leadership roles, you're going to need a degree. And so, um, I would agree that you know those things are necessary. But is, uh, can I innovate better because I have a bachelor's degree now? I don't think so. Uh, It's a skill set. We're talking about a physical skill set. You know, do I need to know the chemical composition of epinephrine 1 to 10,000 before I push it? You know, the molecular structure of that? No, I don't think so. But I need to know what it does. I need to know the adverse effects. I need to know the counterindication, I need to know, you know, under what situations I will provide that to the patient. So those are all things that are skill sets that we teach our current medics. And I think we do a pretty good job of doing that. But, um, you know, to say that I've, I've taken a class in philosophy or theology, which is, you know, when I went to college, that was required at Sandwich University, nine hours of theology and nine hours of philosophy. You know, uh, is that going to make me a better paramedic on doing uh, some type of, you know, skills or some type of physical assessment of my patient? I don't think so. So um, <laughs> we our paramedic schools right now do a pretty good job of teaching our paramedics the skill sets they need the eyes, the hands, and the ears of the doctors out in the field and do those life-saving interventions that we do. And, and, um, you know, if I could just drum on just a little bit here, you know, you look at what I learned as a paramedic 37, 38 years ago, I mean, I was the only one that was allowed to defibrillate. I was the only one that was allowed to start an IV. I was the only one allowed to push a drug. And so now you look at the advanced EMT now, there's... Many of those things that I could do as a paramedic, you know, they can do also. But I don't hear anybody saying that the advanced EMT needs also to have a degree, even though there's just a few more things I can do that they can't do. If you look at the new curriculum standards. So, um, so I, again, did that gonna, is that going to is that going to make me a better paramedic for those few skill sets that 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 I can do that the advanced EMT can't do? they really going to make a difference in patient outcomes? I would add, I would argue it is not going to and that uh, what we're going to do is drive some people who really want to make this profession a part of their career and make a, and make a difference in the lives of others who, who say you know what if I have to get a degree I might as well go into some other profession that's going to pay much more where I can still have the same impact or I can make a difference in the lives of others uh, in the medical field and so we're going to lose on care providers in our
1: profession. I will say that my college English classes might not have made me a better paramedic, but it definitely made me a better PCR writer. Uh, my documentation when I first started in the EMS, oh, uh, pretty bad. A lot of fragments, a lot of run-ons. And then after taking some college English, and my PCRs are much, much better today than they were uh, almost 38 years ago, ago. too. So well, I, I'll, I'll say this. I'll, I'll say this,
2: Steve. I agree. Uh, English should be, you know, one of the things that we should be doing well, and, um, and writing, and write our writing styles. And there's nothing wrong with that. So include that into the curriculum for paramedics. Because right. I'll tell you, who writes better than paramedics? They don't have to have a degree. Right. And that's police officers. If you've ever read a police report before, which I'm sure you have, they are excellent at documenting mm. in their in their narratives and the things that they do. Police officers are. And so um, if you do that, you know, if police officers can do that without having to have degrees, there's no reason why we can't teach paramedics the same skill set and not have to have a degree also.
1: Well, the, uh, I think the debate's going to go on about the degree or not degree, and it's interesting that from a bachelor's now to an associate's degree, uh, I'd like to have you on maybe in, in a future podcast to talk more about this. But I do have one last question for you. Yeah. If, if you could start all over again. What would you do different?
2: You mean, if, would I do another career, or would I, would I do what I would do different in my career? You mean, or how do you how do you mean by that? What would
1: you do different in, in your career?
2: Oh gosh, um, I don't want to tell you about that one because okay. you know what, I've been blessed. Okay, well,
1: that's I'm great. I'm
2: blessed with uh, the people that I have worked with, the systems that I've worked in. Um, you, know, you know, I I just uh, I tell people all the time I'm blessed, and uh, I don't know if I would do anything different in my career. Um, you know, uh, it's funny, you know, when I started in St. Louis, uh, I was not an EMT and I wasn't even a paramedic in the fire academy. They, they taught us how to um, how to control bleeding and uh, take a pen apart and stick it in someone's throat if they were choking. That's the only thing that I was taught. And uh, I, I, I always I always tell that story because that was, that was the funny part of my, my whole medical training. And, and eventually, you know, within six months or so, they put us through EMT school. Uh, and I went. Up, I went. And decided. I'm going to go on the paramedic school of my own. Is what I decided I was going to do. That was back in 1979. So um, I, I can't even. I can't even say I would do anything different there. It's just uh, I've been. I I I realize how blessed I've been, Steve. And I just don't mean to drum on about it. But um, you know, we're uh, we're in an excellent profession. I have worked with some outstanding people, and uh, I don't know if I. I really. I don't know if I would do anything different. Quite frankly.
1: All right, Gary. Well, I appreciate you uh, spending some time on my podcast. Thank you for joining me.
2: Oh, it's been an honor to be with you and spend this evening talking with you.